There is a bit of explicit content in the podcast you are about to hear. It's Monday, May 14th, 2018. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Over the weekend, Washington Post writer Dana Milbank put out a column titled, John McCain is the single greatest political leader of our time, in which he argues that John McCain is the single greatest political leader of our time. And the supporting evidence against the backdrop of White House employee mocking of a dying man's stature, the supporting evidence is about John McCain's character and his heroism in war and his decency, which I think is fine. And you want to say debatable? Sure. But I sign off on large parts of that thesis. But political leader, the greatest political leader? Now, I think Milbank just used it as shorthand for politician. Maybe in a first draft, he was writing the word politician, and just that very word seemed to sully the eulogy that Milbank was intent on writing. Now, when I say eulogy, I'm not being insensitive. You know, eulogy is, is words of praise. Elegy is specifically words for the dead. So I've chosen my words specifically. I do not think Milbank chose his. Political leader. He is a hero. Check. He is brave. Check. He went against the grain. That's his brand. But leader leader means you lead. What did John McCain lead his party or his country to? He was an insignificant senator with a legendary pedigree. His father and grandfather were admirals. This is when he first came to the public's attention as part of the Keating Five. This was the failed savings and loan scandal. He was caught up in it. He took money from Keating. He vowed Not to let that happen again, this galvanized John McCain, and John McCain led, I use the word led, the call for campaign finance reform. And where is campaign finance reform now? It was gutted by Citizens United, gutted by judges of his party, gutted by judges of his ideology. Did he lead Republicans to change their stance on this issue? He did not. Did he lead America to change? Look at how America is. The Keating lesson could have also led to changes in banking law, in finance law, in reform of balance sheet uh, problems. But that change about savings and loan, it was pretty much limited to the savings and loan industry itself. Whatever changes happened were insufficient to stop the Great Recession. And John McCain, though, among Republicans, wasn't the most pro-business, wasn't the most anti-regulation. He really did favor banking deregulation in the aughts, so there was no leadership there. He didn't lead his party away from orthodoxy. He didn't sing to the better angels of our nature with the Palin pick. He didn't sign on to Barack Obama's genuine leadership when it came to healthcare reform. I'm not, what I don't want to do here is to say, here are some things where John McCain had policy differences from me, or here are some of John McCain's failures. I'm just examining the word leadership. Uh, When I tweeted about this, some people said, remember, he was the last vote that saved Obamacare. He deserves credit for that. He does deserve credit. It was the right vote, in my opinion. But it was dramatic. It was the 11th hour. It was, as we've said, the last vote. That is not leading. That is reacting. And I got to thinking about the nature of leadership, because so often when we talk of leadership, we say the definition of leadership is to do the things that are sometimes unpopular. Leadership is doing the right thing, not the popular thing. Well, that's not leadership for long. Yes, it's true that only doing what's popular certainly isn't leadership, it's pandering, but doing the unpopular thing consistently will pretty much preclude you from leadership. Now, one could be a maverick and a leader, but not really at the same time, or at least not for long. 
Leadership is building coalitions and making compromises. Now, when we say those things in the abstract, they seem like virtues, but in the specific, they'll always be decried as selling out or as some sort of cowardice. We say things like FDR was a great leader, though he did give in to racist elements in his party and nativist sentiments in several key areas, though, no, not though, actually because because he compromised even on what now seems like horrible policies. You know, FDR opposed federal anti-lynching legislation. He opposed anti-lynching legislation. He hated lynching. He decried lynching. He wished he didn't have to oppose it for political reasons, but he did. Southern Democrats were dead set against it. And he had other priorities, like rescuing America from the Great Depression. Well, that's not leadership. That's shameful, you might say. I'm not saying it wasn't shameful. I'm saying it was leadership. It was. That's the that's the thing about effective leadership. It sometimes comports with bravery and justice, but often it doesn't. So we should recognize that FDR was a leader. And not despite the immoral policies he allowed, but in a lot of ways because of them. And realize, too, that John McCain has many fine, laudable qualities. I'm here to praise McCain. But some of the most praiseworthy stances he took were the very stances that kept him from being a leader. On the show today, let me tell you about these mongoose. I'm a cobra. I know about the mongoose. When one ideology tries to define another. But first, a much more pressing issue, face gyms. Facial gyms. You got your buns of steel. You got your ab rollers. You got your eight-minute traps. Okay, you don't have that yet, but you should. But what about the part of you that can't be helped by Spanx or a compression t-shirt? Your face. I'm talking about your face, and I'm talking about it with Maria Konnikova. Face gyms, are they bullshit? So recently I came across uh, a trend, a trendlet, a trend piece that caused my eyebrows to raise and it was literally about raising eyebrows and down and up and down and up. 10 sets of 30. We're talking about facial gyms, gyms for the face, exercises that can be done for your face. Is that bullshit? Who better to ask than the exquisitely visaged Maria Konnikova? She is the author of the forthcoming The Biggest Bluff. How's your face, Maria? Um, it's feeling a little tired because mm-hmm. I've just been doing a lot of repetitions yeah. um, of my cheek exercises. Yeah. And so I have to say I'm, I've arrived in the studio a little bit worn out. I understand. Normally, it was 10 years ago, you'd hear about a brow lift and mm. you would think that was a procedure. Now it's more of an exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you've got to sweat. Yeah. If you want to look good, what about work for it. What about lips? Do they have lip exercises? Oh at my these god, face there are gyms? exercises for everything. Okay, I really don't know what a face gym is. I just <laughs> so, saw a so reference neither, to this. Neither did okay, I. Tell me what it is. Neither did I until now. Face gym. It's face actually gym. one word. It was founded by a woman called Inga Theron in the UK. Okay. Um, and but it's coming to New York. Ooh, so ooh. guys, don't worry. It's opening up in NoHo, um, and it's going to be awesome. How did I know it was so, NoHo and not Canarsie? How, how did I know true. that? This yeah. is true. This is true. I'm not sure. Apparently, it consists of two types of classes, 30 to 45 minutes, 
and you do a bunch of different exercises. And they start at, you know, a very reasonable $70, yeah. which is much more reasonable when you think about what it's supposed to replace. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is instead of plastic surgery, facelifts, Botox, all sorts of invasive You'd be a fool stuff. not to pay for it. Absolutely. Yeah, you're paying Absolutely. for it if you're not paying for it. Absolutely. So that's what a face gym is. And so as soon as I read this, my first question was, seriously? Mm-hmm. Um, right, you checked to see if the URL had the words the onion in it somewhere. I, I yeah. did, I did. Um, and next, obviously, when I realized it was real, I went to sign up for the grand sure, opening. Sure, of course, oh, it's real. I'm, a, I'm, a, obviously. I'm um, Yeah, and then I did what I usually do and started to look at whether or not there was actually any research behind facial exercises for rejuvenation. And do you know what I found? Tell me. I found a study that came out in 2018 called... Ready? Effect of facial muscle exercise device, device, because this uses devices on facial rejuvenation. And I found another study also from 2018. So you can see these are these are really new studies called Association of Facial Exercise with the Appearance of Aging. These are the only two studies that exist. All right. So you were skeptical at first. So but then I'm gonna predict you did an about face. Ha, ha, ha. Mike, have you noticed I'm laughing at all your jokes? <laughs> it's like I've shamed you into it. Yeah. Um, all right. So so let's start with just the uh, facial exercise and the appearance of aging study. Mm-hmm. So this study came out of Northwestern. So I was ready for it to have come out of, you know, like one of these huge beauty companies. Yeah. Obviously. So maybe you left a word off. Northwestern Revlon. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But this was actually just Northwestern. Okay. And what they ended up doing is having people do, for eight weeks at home, 30 minutes of daily facial exercises, facial, quote-unquote, yoga. Okay. You know, first you went in for some training sessions, too, and the training sessions were each 90 minutes so that you learned how to do these facial exercises, and then you went home and you did it. And then they looked to see whether your appearance was improved. All right. All right. So there were a few issues with this study. Issue number one, there was no control group. It was only self-selected people um, who were taught 32 facial exercises, but this was it. Like there there was no other group. Then they didn't actually monitor what they were doing at home at all. Oh. And finally, their appearance at the end of the study was evaluated by people who knew about the study, who looked at before and after oh, pictures well, that really to, try to, the study. to yeah. try to kind of see, do mm-hmm. they look better? A better way to design it would be to have random people rate them on, like, their age. Yeah. And they, yeah. so to be fair, this Northwestern group does say the study had limitations that may reduce its validity. They did find that these, that these participants did have a rejuvenated appearance at the end of the study. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they really have zero data beforehand. There was no reason to suspect that this was going to be the case. I mean, when I started looking at their sources, they only cite six different sources and none of them are scientific papers that's actually say anything about facial exercise. So there was no literature beforehand. Right. And this was a tiny, tiny study that had a lot of different problems. Had this been a blind study with a control group, with people who were blind to all of these things, then um, we could begin to talk. Okay, I understand, Maria, but come on, get out of their face. They (laughs) were doing 
as good as they can. And to me, it says something. Like, sure. I couldn't be more skeptical. It says something that even among yeah. the people who knew what was going on would say you look younger. Yeah. Because you know what? I think people go into a facial, facial gym <laughs> doing facial exercises will mostly talk to friends or maybe loved yeah. ones. And if that loved one says, you know, you look younger, then, then they you get a good younger. feeling. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Well, we've talked a lot on the show about placebo effects. Yes. And placebo effects are wonderful. I don't think I'd actually want to spend a half an hour every day doing 32 different facial exercises, but that's just me. Um, so let's look at this other study. Clearly, we're, you know, we're experiencing a something of a wave in these studies mm-hmm. because the yes. only two in existence came out this year. So this one is the effect of facial muscle exercise device on facial rejuvenation. I think I know this device. It's like a little uh, a little backhoe. It's called a POW device, yeah. P-A-O. It's from Japan. Yeah. And what it is is imagine a very long branch mm-hmm. um, with two paddles on each side. So basically take two oars from a boat, put them together, um, but make it... Are you looking I'm it up? I'm pulling it up. Yeah, there yes. you go. See, isn't that... The facial I, I gave fitness you a, massage tool. I gave you a pretty good description. Yeah, yeah. So and then you hold it in your mouth. You hold it in your mouth. And then you nod your head up yeah. and down quickly. Oh, I got to get one. Getting this device to vibrate up yes. and down. Yes, yes. Um, and you do this in little bursts of around eight seconds, and apparently this... Actually, they did it for 30 seconds oh, for eight okay. weeks. I got it. I got it backwards. 30, 30 seconds, seconds for 30 eight seconds. weeks. Yeah. So once again... Self-selection, 50 women, yeah, all from South Korea. Yeah. Here, though, they actually used some sort of device to measure their muscle thickness. Oh, so it's so uh, this was empirical not, data. Yeah, so they, so they, they looked at more empirical data. And they found that it did have some effects around the jawline, um, which I am not at all surprised because... This doesn't really have to do with facial exercise for rejuvenation. However, I did find some studies that go back a number of years when you start looking at, you know, just muscles for the face, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It ends up that some of the only data that people have are from dentists and people who have jaw disorders or conditions, et cetera, who need to strengthen their jaw muscles or do something there and they do exercises and that actually works. So it makes a lot of sense that they found some effects on the jaw. Yeah, but when I think about aging and the effects. Right. So what so does aging mean? Different. Crow's feet and lines. I guess you could build yeah, up not... your jaw muscles. So, right. So, yeah. so that's the, the fact that they found effects there. I'm actually yeah. not that surprised. However, I'm not really sure what that does with aging. Yeah. Um, because there have also been studies that have shown that some facial exercises or some, some things to do with kind of how you manipulate your face can actually cause wrinkles. So, like, imagine if you're doing, you know, lots of repetitions of lifting your eyebrows mm-hmm. up and down. Mm-hmm. You're, yep. Um, so there's, there's some evidence that that might cause wrinkles and yeah. that using devices on your face might actually lower the natural elasticity of the face on its own. Um, so so there's, there have been studies like that. They're not facial rejuvenation exercise studies, but there have been a few different things like that. See, to me, this is the, this is the big flaw of the facial gym. The way that building muscle and why that looks good in one's body is that it actually creates contours and definition. Mm-hmm. And on the body, that looks good. Yep. On the face, contours or lines are what looks like aging. Yeah. So it seems like a muscular face would be less smooth, more craggly, look more aged a mus- sure. if you have a muscle face. But I think what they're trying to go for is plumpness. A plumpness of the right, face. Right, because a lot of these beauty treatments, they actually want, you know, 
the youthful plumpness. So they're getting they're, they're so trying, they're trying to, get, to get like get, the face swole. Yeah. The like that. the old fifties muscle man just mass. Yeah. 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 I still think it's a bald face lie. <laughs> there God, there's so many there's so, so many. many of these. Yeah. yeah. You can just we can just keep going. I could keep doing bad ones and then right. trying to save. All right, face Mike, afterwards. let's face off and see. Okay. And see which one let's of us see if can you come keep up with a more. straight face. <laughs> um so yeah, so in this particular study they did find some effects on the muscles around the uh, mouth. Um that's it. Uh, They didn't find any wrinkle reductions or anything like that. So, yeah, these are the only studies in existence on facial exercise. Judging from that, from the data that we have, I would say there is zero good quality data. Because Mm -hmm. once again, this study, by the way, was all self-selected, no control group. Right. And let's just also realize that these women are standing every single day nodding very quickly up and down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And so... That's an interesting, <laughs> that's just an interesting observation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you, I mean, if you think about some of these studies, it kind of, it seems a little bit bizarre. Maybe it creates some positivity. Uh, it might. It combats frown lines. It could, it yeah. could. But you can think how moving your head up and down very quickly mm-hmm. many times would actually work some of those muscles. Sure. You know, I can definitely see that. Yeah. At least the measurement was more scientific. Yeah. I can see that maybe facial exercises can help with jaws and the mouth muscles Mm -hmm. um, for all that's worth. Um, I'm not sure how much you want that, but it does seem to, in this particular study with very limited numbers and no controls, it did seem to have an effect. Okay. Um, And if it makes you feel better, this is what you and I have always talked about, then why not? I mean, if, you know, you do your 32 facial exercises, going back to the Northwestern study, and you think you look younger, isn't that great? Listen, I agree. You've given me, though, a lot of qualifiers, and I must concentrate us because this is the endeavor we have chosen. Facial gyms, are they bullshit? As far as the data that we have today are concerned, yes, yes, they are bullshit. But? But if they make you feel better about yourself, you should absolutely go. And and better studies can be done. Perhaps better studies. Perhaps you will do an about face. Yes, perhaps I will do an about face. We just, we are completely lacking data on this. So if anyone tells you this has scientific validity, then run. But as long as they don't say that and they say, oh, well, you know, it'll make you feel better. It'll, you know, make you feel like you look younger. Mm -hmm. Then why in the world not? If you have the money, if you have the time, and if that's how you choose to spend your money and time, that's then right. why not? Shooting smack, playing video games, uh, taking up I golf, some other I feel like we should empower anti-social. people to do this. Exactly. Um, and in these, I was going to say, I feel like we should empower women, but in these, in the face gym um, that's in the UK, we have about twenty percent members are men, as far yeah. as I. As far as I read. But you know the problem. Like you go to the face gym and then you stare at someone in the face and then she's all like, hey, my boobs are down here. It's just very awkward is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, it can get get a little awkward. Yeah. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game, Mastermind How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes, the forthcoming The Biggest Bluff. And she joins us on the gist to play Is That Bullshit? Until she is in fact blue in the face. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel. One of my biggest pet peeves in political discourse is outsourcing the definition of one ideology to the opponents of that ideology. We wouldn't let the British define the Zulu. I wouldn't want a Trotskyite to tell me everything I need to know about a Bolshevik. 
And yet the world of talk radio and opinion writing is full of dogs sidling up to you and saying, let me tell you about these cats. Let me tell you what they want. They got four legs, they got a tail, so they seem like normal, right? Nuh-uh. First of all, they worship a different god, meaning not you. Good pets, dogs, let's say, worship you. Second, and this is what I call the feline secularist worldview, or what dog Reddit calls Siamese justice clorriers. Now that seems ridiculous, but take cats and dogs and change it to Democrats or Republicans or liberals and conservatives. Wow, I'm the first guy to do that. Of course, if you just let the proponents of an ideology define it for you, you'll definitely get some shadings of the truth, right? No one's a laissez-faire capitalist. No one wants people to die in the streets. Everyone's a pro-free market. Or in the other direction, we don't want legal abortion. I mean, we definitely want legal abortion, but please call us pro-choice. So much nicer. Indeed, there is nothing less useful in the world than Ben Shapiro telling me what liberals really believe, because he defines liberal as Janine Garofalo on left, or Bill O'Reilly always talking about the liberals, or as he calls them, secular progressives champion a do-your-own-thing philosophy. No judgments about personal behavior are allowed in that arena. By the way, maybe his undoing was he actually believed that thing he just said, because if progressives really didn't judge or take any moral stances, then super swinger slash sexual harasser Bill O'Reilly would still have a job, right? Who's the real sybarite there, Bill? Anyway, I used to do this radio show with a huge leftist guy, blowhardy type, and every discussion came back to, you know, if the U.S. were really moral, would we have gotten into the Vietnam War? Oh, so, so, so timely. But the thing that really frustrated me about this guy is every show he would say, but aren't conservatives supposed to believe? And then it was whatever he wanted to, whatever shibboleth he wanted to hit him with. Aren't conservatives supposed to conserve the environment? You call yourself a conservative, but you always want to blow up regulations. Thank you. Thank you for the definition of conservative senior liberal. The frustrating thing is that there are good points to be made from the left about the right and from the right about the left. It's just that we can't trust one side to totally define the other. The New York Times had an essay this week called Liberals, You're Not as Smart as You Think. It is a grabbing title because they're not. But also it assumes that liberals think they're pretty smart, which from my experience is true. Also, I think that in general, they might be smarter than conservatives. I'm just going by the data. Pew in 2016 found highly educated adults, particularly those who have attended graduate school, are far more likely than those with less education to take predominantly liberal positions across a range of political values. More than half of those with a postgraduate degree either consistently or mostly hold liberal positions, whereas fewer than half of that number hold consistent conservative or mostly conservative values. Now, if you just look at college graduates, not those with a postgraduate degree, 44% have liberal values consistently or mostly, only 29% have conservative values. Now, of course, an education doesn't mean you're smart, a lack of education doesn't mean you're stupid, but there is a correlation, which is exactly what you'd expect an educated liberal to say. But in this guy, this uh, Gerard Alexander guy's essay, he talks about the backlash against liberals that liberals don't realize because they're not smart enough to realize that they're causing. And he says it's going to get Trump reelected. So what is he, what, what, what is this backlash that they're causing? Example one, Michelle Wolf, the jokes, the jokes are going to get Trump reelected. The mean jokes, people vote on jokes. Remember all those years that Don Rickles was cruel to hockey pucks. And then what happened? I think we all remember hockey pucks swept the midterms. 
1998, you're the hockey puck. That happened. Look it up. And then Gerard Alexander writes, when Kanye West publicly rethought his ideological commitments, prominent liberals criticized him for speaking on the topic at all. Maxine Waters, a Democratic congresswoman from California, remarked that sometimes Kanye West talks out of turn and should, quote, maybe not have so much to say. Yes, Kanye West, who rethought his ideological commitments. He said slavery was a choice. (laughs) A prominent black congresswoman, this guy is arguing, is going to inspire a backlash by noting that Kanye West, when he said slavery is a choice, by noting that maybe Kanye West should not have so much to say. What fair-minded person would hear slavery as a choice and characterize that as Kanye West rethought his ideological positions? Van Gogh rethought his commitment to facial symmetry. Anna Karenina rethought her commitment to the railroad timetable. Ezra Pound rethought his commitment to Purim. Tell me, oh, tell me, oh, loather of liberals, how liberals think and what mistake liberals make. Then there's Selena Zito, who popularized the conceit that we should take Trump seriously, but not literally. She's out with a new book. She was on the panel of ABC's This Week, expounding on her premise that the left doesn't recognize how off-putting they are to middle America. And the media is an outgrowth of the left. They're guilty, too. Here's some of that. Case in point, look at the Republicans in West Virginia. They were convinced that Don Blankenship had a chance. Well, I have been uh, to West Virginia. It's in my backyard. I live in Pittsburgh. Don Blankenship had zero chance, absolutely none. But both the Republican establishment and a lot of the news media thought this was something that was going to happen. Okay, her argument is bigger than liberals don't understand their excess. They don't understand how they're driving people to Trump. It's more like elites don't get the regular people. But her evidence is that Don Blankenship only got 20% of the vote in the GOP primary in West Virginia. True, the winner got 34%. Don Blankenship lost. How did Selena Zito know? Because she's from Pittsburgh, which is next to West Virginia. That's how she knew? I talked about Blankenship a couple times on the show. I tried to give a proper context. We don't know who's going to win because there were bad polls. I mean, a paucity of polls. One poll had the eventual winner up four. One poll had the second place guy up four. Those were the only two polls. They were taken a month before the election. So how does Selena, what divining rod does Selena Zito have? Forget polls. She could lay her hands on the body politic and just know what they're thinking. I say... It's perfectly justifiable to examine a millionaire blowhard outsider spouting conspiracy theories in the state that Trump won by the widest margin and pay attention to it. Remember how I said that Trump won? Trump won. Let's say there was evidence a couple years ago of a talking pig. We're, We're hearing reports about a talking pig. And the experts will tell you, you know, pigs can't talk. They don't even have the right vocal cords. It just can't happen. Everyone kind of said, all right, it's not going to happen. But then it was true and the pig talked. So then, a couple months later, report comes out of a talking goat. If only due to this one occurrence of porcine prolixity, yes, you might be curious, if not credulous, about another talking beast. But there is Selino Zito to tell us, oh, you elites just don't understand barnyard animals and their speech patterns. In the future, I will get my definition of ideologies and what ideologies stand for from empirical data, from good journalism, examining ideologies, but also from what they say. That's really useful. Ask ISIS what it stands for. They'll tell you. I will not trust the assertion, you know, those people, 
don't realize how they've gone too far. Take it from me, a person who totally disagrees with those people. It's just not that useful to me. It just doesn't carry water. Now, with talking oxen, not only does he carry water, now there's a guy who can explain what the chicken has been thinking all along. And that's it for today's show. Today is a Monday. That's when just producer Pierre Bienname works his backs, gums, and lower ears. Lats and lobes, baby. Three sets of 15. Spot me. Mary Wilson, just senior producer, will not spot him. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, is the inventor of the Nordic track for the face. Just 15 minutes of jamming your face between two wooden ski slats and you won't believe the results. Give it three months and the facial Nordic track will be the first place you hang your clothes. Thanks to our Slate Plus listeners who help support the show. Learn more about the many facially rejuvenative benefits of membership, including ad-free versions of this show at slate.com slash gist plus. The gist. You call that a brow furrow? I've seen deeper trenches on Meg Ryan. Furrow, release, furrow, release. All right, now let's go. Power squints. Give me 20. Um, Peru, da, Peru, du, Peru. And thanks for listening.